Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Glad you guys are here. I want to say hello to the live stream. Thank you guys for joining us today. Really excited to welcome you digitally to Vanguard Church and to welcome you all physically and hopefully all of us spiritually here this morning to hear what God has to say through his word. I will tell you, this weekend as I was preparing, it was a rough weekend. I heard it's kind of a rough weekend across the church. We've got some sickness, some other things kind of going on. But for me, it was a difficult weekend as I prepared this message because you may not know this, but preachers get scared. Do you guys know that? The reason that preachers get scared is because all humans get scared. And, you know, contrary to popular belief, I'm a human, not a robot. But I got scared this weekend in preparing this message because I believe that God wants to say something to us and say some hard things and some challenging things. And some things that are going to get us to to, to stop for a minute and really rethink how we're engaging the world, how we're engaging the culture that we live in, how we're engaging the life that God has asked us to live. So with that prefaced, I've been coming to Vanguard for about eight years now. Who's who's longer than eight years? Raise your hand. All right, we got lots of long timers. Who's longer than 10 years? Who's longer than 15 years? Who's longer than 20 years? 25? Who was here for the first service? Anybody? <laughs> we got one. All right. Awesome. Well, and so, so if you've been here for any length of time, you've been saying the sending. You've been starting out, God, you're my father. I will follow you. And the cool thing about the sending is it's, I think it's stayed pretty much the same over the course of time since we've started doing it. But one thing has changed, at least that I'm aware of, and it's the word that we're going to be talking about today, multiplier. Now, when I first came here eight years ago, my wife and I, Rochelle, we didn't say multiplier. What did we say, guys? Equipper, right? We said equipper, and that was a reference to Ephesians 4.12, where the, the, those who have the gifts are called to equip those for the works of the ministry. That was what we were called to do. And like I said, there's, there's no doubt that the church is called to do that. We're supposed to do that. But we changed the word, I believe, to multiplier because it more impacts the identity of a Vanguardian. We are called as Vanguardians to be multipliers. And so as we continue in our series on our, on our creed, on the sending, we're looking at this phrase, I'm a multiplier. And we're going to ask this question today, guys. How do we, as a church, make our mark through multiplication? How do we, as a church, make our mark through multiplication? And this question is vital because the church, the body of Christ here on earth, is designed to make a mark. We are designed and intended to be a transformation agent in the world. We are not called to simply exist alongside the current culture. We are called to change the culture of the world. We are called to be the yeast in the bread that spreads through the whole dough. 
We are called to be the mustard seed that though it is the smallest seed, it grows into the, one of the largest trees that the birds of the air are able to come and find safety. The church is supposed to be a place where sinners and repentant saints come and find rest and refuge. Thank you. Should have been a couple more, I think. There you go. I like that. Out of the mouth of babes in the back, right? Today I've got five points for you when it comes to being a multiplier. We're going to look at four different passages across the Old and the New Testaments. And I'm going to give you a point. I'm going to give you a why. And then I'm going to give you a challenge. You guys ready? Say ready. ready. There we go. i got some participation. That's what I like. So if you have your Bibles, your internet devices, your programs, open them. We're going to be in, starting in Genesis 1, verse 28. So I'll give you just a second to get there. Genesis 1 and verse 28. And this is what God's word says to us. And God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's read it again. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So how do we as a church make our mark through multiplication? Point number one, we multiply image bearers. We'll say it another way. We have lots of babies. Multiply image bearers. So for you Bible veterans, this is a familiar passage. God in his goodness, he creates Adam and Eve and he gives them what's known as the dominion mandate. It's their job to make more people, to fill the earth and to rule over it. They are to extend God's efforts, his creative efforts, his multiplication efforts from the garden to the galaxy. Maybe garden to the universe. Think about it that way. But before they can start ruling and reigning and having dominion over all creation, they need to get multiplying. And again, this is done, as we know, by having lots of babies. Now, some may make the joke that this is the only command that humans have been really good at obeying. Because <laughs> there's 7.7 billion of us on the planet right now. But if we take this passage seriously, there's five imperatives, five commands that God gives to Adam and Eve. Number one, be fruitful. Number two, multiply. Number three, fill the earth. Number four, subdue it. And number five, have dominion over it. Now, we could do a whole sermon series on this passage. We could take five weeks and just, you know, trek through all five of these commands. But we don't have time for that today. I got four more points to give you and we got one sermon to do it in. But here's the thing. He says to us, as God's people, as his children, be fruitful, multiply. And it's used all over the place in the garden. We see this command reiterated over and over again to God's people to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. And we see it in contexts like gardening and planting and things like that. A plant that is alive and is thriving and is healthy multiplies, makes more of itself over and over again. And God's command to human beings is to make more of themselves. 
The second command to multiply, it's used in terms of greatness and size. And God commands Adam and Eve not just to make a couple more people, but to make a lot more people. The more, the better. When it comes to human beings, the more, the better. Why? Because human beings are created in the image of God. And so when there's more people, there's more image. When there's more people, there's more glory that is abounding in the earth. And here's the thing, guys. We live in a culture today that says a couple things. It doesn't say make babies. It says kill babies. It doesn't say have dominion over the earth. It says have no impact on the earth. And let me say something that's going to kind of like This is a strong saying, but it's true. The devil, he hates babies. Do you guys know that? And the reason the devil hates babies is because he hates God. He doesn't want to see more image bearers come forth. The devil would love to see children born into poverty, out of wedlock, to no parents. The devil loves that stuff. The devil loves to see babies aborted, ripped apart in their mother's womb, stuffed in a dumpster, and sold to pharma companies. That's what the devil loves. And our culture says, that's exactly what you should be doing. But God says no. And here's the thing, guys. It is contrary to our witness as Christians to take a pro-choice or pro-abortion position. It is contrary to our witness to take a pro-choice or pro-abortion position. Because... When a baby is aborted, the image of God is destroyed. That is not, that's not Christian, guys. It's not a Christian position. As I was preparing for this, God told me to say that yesterday to you guys. To take on abortion. To take on the culture of death that we live in. And we as the church are called to get into that culture, to transform it, to see it redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah? Who agrees with that? There we go. Here's the other thing that we have to watch out for, guys. There is a culture of no human impact on the earth. This environmentalism that we have been, I mean, I remember watching Captain Planet as a kid. You know, I've been watching these shows since like for 30 years, like don't have impact, don't have impact. Like, you know, the earth is pristine and clean and all these things. Like, listen, guys, the people who say things like that, whether that's Thomas Malthus in the 1800s, he was this guy who said that, you know, the, the world's going to collapse because there's too many people. There's not enough resources. If that's a guy named Paul Ehrlich in the 70s who said the same thing, or if it's Bill Gates today saying there's too many people on the earth. Guys, this, this same kind of environmentalism is anti-Christian. It is demonic. It is against what God has called us to do because he has said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. We are called as people, as human beings, to use the earth in a way that brings forth more human flourishing on the planet. And obviously we don't want to pollute the earth to a point of inhabitability. Obviously we don't want to destroy our environments, but we use it. We innovate. We make sure that what the earth is for is for us. The earth is for the thriving, the the flourishing of human beings. That's what it's for. We are called to multiply ourselves into the earth to use it for the flourishing of God's people and of God's image. 
And so we have to fight as a culture against these two ideas, this idea of a culture of death and abortion and this idea of this radical anti-human environmentalism. We have to fight against those two things. Now, why is this important that we multiply image bearers? Well, the reason it's important is because when we multiply image bearers, we multiply God's glory in the world. We multiply the people who are able through the redemption of Jesus Christ to show God's glory, what God is like. And the humans are the only beings who are capable of reproducing the glory of God. Other things don't have a choice. The rocks cry out, the birds of the air, the trees, the galaxies. If you've, if you've uh, been paying attention to the news, this last week we just saw these beautiful new images of the universe from the James Webb Telescope. Anybody see those? They were ridiculous. God's glory on display. But what the, the nebulas and the stars and the planets can't do is make more of God's image, more of God's glory. And so we are called to do that. And now as we think about multiplying image bearers, here's my challenge to you today. Again, we're going to do a little more controversy if you guys are ready. <laughs> if you're able, have as many babies as you can. And if you're not, be parents to those in need. If you're able, have a bunch of babies. <laughs> I love seeing babies being born into the church. It's one of my favorite things. It's like natural evangelism. <laughs> natural growth, we like that. But the second thing that's so important is there are lots of babies out there, kids who need parents, who need moms and dads to take care of them, to raise them, to teach them. So if you can, have babies. If you can't, be parents. That's the challenge for, for point one. Now, that's going to be difficult to accept for a couple things, I think. Now, some of you, again, we've talked about this, that you, you may be thinking, well, there's too many people already. I don't need more. Yes, we do. We need more people. I promise you. We need more people. The second thing is, because maybe this is difficult because you're just not able to have children. Maybe you're in that you know, childbearing age, but you can't have children. I have a friend of mine, I won't say his name, but I have a friend who's struggling with that right now. And here's the, here's the thing that I want to pray for, is that God would just allow that to happen. But here's the thing, he may not. And we see, we see what happens when, you know, there's two examples that I thought of in the Bible. You have the example of, of Sarah, who desperately wants to have a child, wants to give Abraham her husband and heir, which is a good motivation. But she says, hey, take my slave girl, have one through her. She tries a little bit too hard. <laughs> She's not waiting for God. And then who do we see? We see Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who is old, is not able to have children. And then God, through, through her faithfulness and the faithfulness of her husband, Zechariah, opens her womb and she has a child. We see these two examples. We see a try-hard example, and then we see a faithful example. And you have to be able, in your moment, to say, I'm going to trust God with whatever he would give me. Who, think that's, who thinks that's hard? To trust God? <laughs> yeah, it is hard. Because we have these desires, we have these wants, but God says, be faithful. I will give you what you need. I will give you what I want you to have. 
We're called to be image bearers. We're called to multiply image bearers, but in God's timing and in God's way. So let's, let's move on to the next, our next point. We're going to be turning to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Here are Bibles again. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and this is what it says. It says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So how do we as a church make our mark through multiplication? Number two, we multiply teachers. Again, I'm not saying pastors or preachers, but we multiply teachers. In this passage, Paul is speaking to Timothy. It's his young pastoral apprentice. He's commanding him to pass down the faith, to teach others who in turn will be able to teach others who will be in turn able to teach others. This system that Paul initiates has a potential to grow exponentially, which it obviously did. From the moment that Paul began to teach Timothy, we see a proliferation of the church through the ancient world and to, to our, our current situation. Now, here at Vanguard, we have a multiplicity of teachers, whether they're teaching team teachers, whether they're youth teachers, whether they're student teachers, whether they're kids teachers, whatever it is. We see people, and, we, and some, some are just unofficial, who just are leading small groups or leading Bible studies or leading huddles or whatever it would be. We see a multiplication of teachers. Now, why is this important? Why is it important to multiply gospel teachers? Well, the reason is when we multiply teachers, God multiplies our witness. When we multiply teachers, God multiplies our witness. Now, this is not simply like Pastor Kelly's job or my job or Pastor John here. <laughs> you know, it's not our job just to do this. It's not just our jobs to preach the good news to eager ears. It's all of our jobs. Everyone has been called to be a teacher of the gospel in the sense that we evangelize and we, we do the work that God has called us to do, sharing our faith with those around us. And when we engage in this, when we multiply our witness in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our world, it creates more and more people who know and love God. And this is how our church grows. This is how any church grows is teaching and proclaiming and sharing the gospel message of Christ crucified him, resurrected and him coming again. To paraphrase my good friend Myron Pierce, we don't grow our church by getting more people into the streets or into the, into the seats here. We grow our church by getting more teachers into the streets. So here's the challenge I wanna give you for this point. Be willing to learn enough to teach others. Be willing to learn enough to teach others. Because here's the thing. We're not consumers of information. We do not come to this place only to be fed. We do not eat for the sake of eating. But we let our fuel be the food that allows us to do the work and mission that God has given us. My friend Bill, he tells this story that when he was a young man, he was leading a group of guys and he said, you know what, I was only two days ahead. I had my meeting on Monday with my group, and then I taught the guys that I was meeting with on Wednesday. Two days ahead. That's all he had. If you're one day ahead, if you're one step ahead, if you're one millimeter ahead of the person behind you, you can teach and you can lead and you can help them to know God in a deeper way. Amen? Let's continue in Acts 9. Verse 31. Acts 9.31 says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So how do we as a church make our mark through multiplication? Point number three, and this is a little bit different from your program. So if you have your, your internet device and your program, it's a little different than this one. We're gonna multiply obedience. I know in the program online it says multiply community, but we're gonna multiply obedience and we'll get to community here in a second. This passage comes at the end of Paul's time in Jerusalem with the apostles and in the church and, and they send him off to, to Tarsus and Luke the author of the book of Acts, he gives us an update on the church. This is what he tells him. The church was doing two things. The church was walking in the fear of the Lord and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So two things, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And these are the two elements that allowed the church, as we see from the passage, to multiply. But here's the question. What is the fear of the Lord? What is... The fear of the Lord. Are we supposed to be afraid of God? What do you think? Yes or no? No? Yes and no, actually. <laughs> when I was preparing and I was telling you guys I was really afraid of some of the things in this message today, this is what I wrote. The fear you feel is not of God. The fear you feel is the judgment of others. You're scared of what they will think. Be fearless. Then God brought me this passage. It says, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will warn you of who you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now who's that? That's God. So there's a kind of fear that we're called to have and the kind of fear that we're called to not have. I don't know if you have read this book, but there's a, an older book called The Wind in the Willows. Anybody ever read this book to their kids? It's a really interesting passage where the two main characters, a rat and a mole, they meet the god Pan in the story. And this is the description of that. Then suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water bowed his head and rooted his feet to the ground. It was not panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. But it was an awe that smote and held him. And without seeing, he knew it could only mean that some august presence was very, very near. With difficulty, he turned to look for his friend and he saw him at his side, cowed and stricken and trembling violently. And still there was utter silence in the populous bird-haunted branches around them. And still the light grew and grew. Anybody ever felt like that? In the presence of God? In a moment where he has touched your heart? Maybe in a moment of prayer? Maybe on top of a mountain? Maybe seeing the awesome power of a lightning storm or the Grand Canyon? It's kind of scary. And it's kind of wonderful at the same time. This is a good description of the kind of fear and awe and wonder that we're called to have of God. One of the reasons I think that the church has, is suffering right now, and this is true in my own life and maybe it's true for you too, is that we have lost some of the wonder and awe of God. We've lost a sense of reverence and wonder the world around us is becoming mundane and boring as we understand how things work. 
Oh, it's just another sunset. It's just another rainbow. Just another hawk soaring on the wind currents. Just another baby born. Just another worship service. Just another communion. Just another, just another, just another. We're called to cultivate a sense of wonder of God, an awe of God. To pray that God would once again capture our hearts and stir us into a place of reverence and fear at his power and his goodness. I asked you about those telescope pictures earlier today. We can't fathom how much distance there is in those pictures. It's billions of light years. We can't understand how huge the universe is, how the wonder and power and majesty of God has displayed itself for us to see. If you just think about it for five seconds, just try to put yourself, you know, on Jupiter and imagine how small you are. Imagine the seeming insignificance of your life here on planet Earth. Like, that should make us feel humble. That should scare us a little bit. But we should also rejoice that that God who has spread the heavens over billions of light years knows your name. He knows your face. He knows your fears. He knows your joys. He knows all the things you're going through. That God. That's wonder. <laughs> that's awe. That's awesome. The second thing the church was doing was he was walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. The early church, they had it rough. <laughs> okay? There were no buildings. There were no coffee and donuts in the lobby. There was no childcare. There was no guitars or smoke machines or internet or smartphones. None of that stuff. They had no Bibles. They had no New Testament. They were plagued by persecution, the diseases of the day, child mortality, Roman oppression, and the like. And we here are the beneficiaries of 2,000 years of the gospel having influence in our world. You may feel that it's waning, but I am not worried that God's kingdom will continue to advance. Do you know why? What does Jesus say? Gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying, guys, that you know, the early church had it worse. You know, they walked uphill in the snow both ways going to church. One of those things. I got to laugh. Thank you. I thought that was a good joke. But we, you know, they needed the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and so do we. We have our own problems. We have our own issues that are pressing on us as a people. And they were, in the early church and us today, they were desperate for God's comfort and he gave it to them through the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you, why is this important that we multiply our obedience? Because when we multiply our obedience, we multiply, or God multiplies disciples. When we multiply our obedience, God multiplies disciples. And so my challenge to you for this week is to spend some time cultivating wonder and awe of God. Ask him to wow you. Ask him to do something in your life today, to let you see something, let you read something, to let you hear a piece of music, to let you experience something that, that would take you into the presence of God and allow you to be overwhelmed with wonder and awe and fear. 
And maybe you have something that really works for you. Maybe it's like it's getting to the mountains. Well, go out there. It's July. Still July. Get out there. Maybe it's a book that you've read in the past and it's really spoken to your heart. Read it again. Whatever you can do to cultivate a sense of wonder and awe of God, do that this week. We'll spend time cultivating wonder and awe. Our last passage will take us to Jesus today. It's always good to get back to Jesus. A little bit longer passage. So this is Matthew 15, verses 32 through 39. This is what God's word says. Then Jesus called the disciples to him and he said, I have compassion on this crowd. They've been with me now three days with nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread for such a, in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves of the fish and having given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up seven basketfuls of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and the children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So how do we as a church make our mark through multiplication? Point number four today is we multiply resources. We multiply resources. This is another familiar passage to you Bible veterans. Jesus' teaching ministry is in full swing, and the people in attendance are hungry for his teaching, but they're also hungry for food. (laughs) They've been filled spiritually, but now they need to be filled physically. The disciples, these are practical men. Again, they know that there's not enough food to feed all these people. Let's, let's do a low estimate at 7,000 people. You got 4,000 men, but some of them are married. You got some kids in there as well. So you probably have seven to eight, maybe even 10,000 people that Jesus is saying, hey, you need to feed these people. And Jesus is not you know, going to send them away hungry. They've been there three days. So they've obviously all exhausted their supplies of food. They didn't think they're going to be there that long probably. And now Jesus has compassion. And the, the disciples, of course, ask an obvious question. They say, where are we going to get food for all these people? How are we going to feed 10,000 people? And Jesus gives a cryptic answer. Then he takes what the disciples have, meager compared to the need. How many of you ever felt that? Like your resources are meager compared to the need you have? I've felt that before. It's like, God, how, how's this going to work? How am I going to take care of this thing that you've given me in your sovereignty? And I don't have the resources, the funds, the time, the energy, the effort to do that. Sometimes I feel like that with my kids. You got four kids and sometimes like, God, I don't have the energy for this. (laughs) No parents ever feel that, I'm sure. But here's the thing. Here's what God does. God multiplies our resources. And he asks us, to be willing to give whatever resources that we have and put them in his hands. Because we know God is, um, actually I'm going to pause because that's my last point. We're going to wait on that one. But with such a small amount of food, Jesus feeds an army. And and the reason that it's important to multiply our resources, because when we multiply resources, God multiplies the impact. When we multiply resources, God multiplies the impact. 
And the challenge that I want to give to you today is really similar to the challenge that John gave in the 10 before, is give what you can for the kingdom and watch God make it grow. Give what you can for the kingdom and watch God make it grow. Put your resources, however small, however large, into the hands of God and watch the impact be exponential. I want to say thank you to the church this month. We've um, had a really amazing month of generosity and giving. I want to say thank you guys for, for doing that. Um, really encourage you to continue to, again, you know, what, what you can give. We, we always appreciate it, but thank you so much for really stepping up and giving this month. It's been a real blessing to our church. I want to say thank you for that. As we think about these things that we've been called to do, to multiply, whether that's image bearers, teachers, obedience, resources, here's what God says to us. Ultimately, he's the multiplier. Ultimately, God is the multiplier. This is our fifth point today. God is the one who enables new life to be created. God is the one who helps us to learn so that we can teach others. God is the one who spurs and encourages our obedience to him. He's the one who brings us into a state of wonder and fear. He's the one who comforts us in the moments of, di- of distraction and, our, and being down. God is the one who comforts through his Holy Spirit. God is the one who takes our resources, the, the meager resources that we have, and we say, God, here, here's what I got. And he turns it into an abundance, into a multitude for his glory and for his sake. We know, as Paul says, we can plant and we can water, but who's the one who gives the growth? It is God and it is God alone. So I want to invite you, church, to take what God has said to you today. Forget the things that I said. Take what God has said to you. Take what God has spoken to your heart. Take what God has implanted deep into your soul and let it multiply. Let God's word multiply in your heart. Let God's word multiply in your spirit. See what he will do. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, God will do something remarkable. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.